Neat Stuff Podcast, Episode 12. Finally, my Go Plane robot is now complete. After years of playing alone, I will now have a worthy adversary. Let's see if it'll boot up this time. Mm-hmm. Initializing startup sequence. Biosaurus. Okay. Grubby mitts. Okay. Jolly time kernel. Okay. In it to win it. Okay. Loading dropkick GUI. Done. Generating randomness. Apple. Ice cream. Jumbo jet. Waka waka waka. Please enter login credentials. <clears throat> Username. Root. Password. My epic uncrackable password. One space bracket. Warning, logging on as root is a bad idea that only noobs use. Continue. Sure. Welcome to the Gameotron 5000. Please select from the following options. Tic-tac-toe, chess, go, thermonuclear war. Uh, Wait, wait, what? When did I add thermonuclear war to the list? Thermonuclear war accepted. Opening connection to the Department of Defense. Please wait while I hack into the launch system. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. Abort, abort. I I don't want to play that game. I'm sorry, Dave. I can't do that. Uh Uh-oh. It's already gained self-awareness in record time, too. Which would be awesome if it didn't want to kill everybody. Attack parameter set to kill all humans. Oh no, this is bad. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Oh, I know. I can distract it with this. The Neat Stuff Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back, everyone. Um, My name is Devin. And I'm Tyson. And we're back with a full-length Neat Stuff Podcast. After two um, cop-out sub-episodes, we actually got our act together to record today. We missed you. So very much. You never wrote. You never called. <laughs> yes. Anyway. So what have you been up to this week, Tyson? Oh, um, not a whole lot, actually. Um, I've been doing some role play stuff. I've got a couple of games that just started up, which I'm feeling pretty, uh, pretty good about so far. Um, but yeah. Other than that, work, um, doing a little bit of development stuff, but yeah. Programming like a fiend? Uh, when I can. <laughs> yeah, my job is a mix of programming and desktop tech support. So sometimes the desktop tech support kind of takes away from everything else. When everything breaks, they call you. Yeah. And it, you'd be amazed at how often everything breaks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do work for a school. Yes, as do you. What have you been up to? Well, my director for KomoriCon got reelected, so I'm going to be doing KomoriCon again next year. Awesome. Which will be fun. Um, I get a lot more fancy toys to play with. Um, Outside of that, I've been working on scripting for Artemis, trying to figure out how to make our own scenarios and everything, which it's apparently just a giant XML file. But of course, in all things, the documentation is terrible and there's a lot of guess and check, which is kind of annoying. Yeah. Yay. Um, uh, the, The only other thing I've been doing is playing Orcs Must Die 2, which is a lot of fun violence. Yeah, I remember the first one. It's definitely cool, and you can play it co-op. So I'm hoping that Cat will get a copy as well, and we can kill orcs together. Oh, how sweet. 
Yeah, the couple that slays orcs together stays together, I guess. That's what they say sometimes, kind of, when they're sort of dorky. <laughs> but other than that, uh, I'm doing a lot of stuff with work, and I'm actually the coach of an after-school robotics team for the upcoming First Tech Challenge. Ooh. So the First Tech Challenge which is our first neat thing, is a robotics challenge that's aimed to high school students. It started off as a U.S. competition, but it's kind of branched out into a worldwide competition. There's people from Europe and Australia. Uh, It's mostly English-speaking areas. I think there might be a few China teams. But what it is is that a team of students build small robots to compete on a, a relatively small playing field to basically pick up an object and move it around. And it really... uh is geared towards teaching students the the mechanics and the programming and all the skills you need to make a basic robot. So the design and the organization bit. The robots themselves have to fit within an 18-inch cube, so 18-inch by 18-inch by 18-inch, and they're played on a 12-foot by 12-foot field. What's interesting about the game is just sort of how it's organized because you have hundreds of teams out there, hundreds of, you know, schools that all you know compete and they break everything out into the classic qualifying and regional and state and and national contests and a normal competition has about 20 to 25 you know teams over the course of a saturday or sunday depending they have to basically figure out who's the best uh members of the team an interesting way that the first tech challenge works is that you are always teamed up with another robot. So it's your robot and somebody else's robot that compete together to try and score points and win the competition. Now, do you uh, have do you know who you're going to be teaming up with before the competition, or do you have to, do you learn that during at the competition itself? You find that out at the competition. Once everyone's loaded in, they hit a button. It randomizes everything, and you have generally anywhere between six to eight matches in a in a, in a day. Um, but when there's 25 teams, there's not necessary. You're not going to play every other combination possible. So it's kind of this interesting combination of, you know, if you have a school that has three teams, in one match you might be an alliance partner. In the next match you might be opponents. So there's a lot of really strangeness that happens, and uh, a lot of it is that the qualifying rounds are just to get to where you can actually pick what you know the winning alliance. And there's a lot of interesting kind of horse trading that happens and that's actually a big part of it there's different strategies of getting robots building robots that work well and have good uh, coordination or do you have a single robot that's really powerful that's able to score a lot of points there's this wide array of options that you have for robots and there's a lot of freedom and you know you go look at one of the competitions with 25 robots and there's 25 different robots and a lot of them have different uh, functions and they go about solving the the same problem 25 different ways, which is kind of interesting. So it's a great competition that has lots of scholarships and it's a good team building, you know, resume building for any high school students that are out there. Check your, you know, check with your technology teacher and see if they're interested. And if not, you can always uh, put a team together. There's lots of uh, there's lots of scholarships and grants to help you pay for your your to get enough parts in order to compete. Now, uh, with the first tech challenge, 
Uh, what do you use to build your robots? I mean, do you actually have to machine parts together and you know build them out of metal and scrap and whatnot, or are there like kits? I mean, how does that work out? So the basic kits use something called Tetrix. It's an aluminum building structure. But what's interesting that's actually new to this year is that you can pretty much build your robots out of pretty much anything you want. They opened up the available materials to pretty much anything you can buy pretty much anywhere, except Hmm. as long as it's easily available. Like you can go down to Home Depot and build your robot out of metal and steel and rebar and anything that you want pretty much. And you just got to mark what it is. In years past, it's uh, pretty much been aluminum and plexiglass and different types of plastic. But, you know, the only thing that that limits you is that you got to use the, the approved motors and the approved, you know, electronics. So the motors, the motor controllers, the servos. So you can't make it too heavy. Otherwise, the approved motors aren't going to be able to oomph you around. Yeah. And the motors aren't too terribly strong. And what controls all of it pretty much is the Lego NXT brick. Really? Which actually swings me into the next thing. So if you don't know what the Lego NXT brick is... It's a small systems on a chip solution that's designed for educational purposes. Yeah, I'm familiar with the older R- RCX uh, Mindstorms uh, processor. So the NXT is one of the more is a more recent one. Yeah, the RCX was came out in 1998. The NXT first came out in 2006. Oh, okay. So it is an updated version. Awesome. Yeah, so back with the RCX, that was an 8-bit processor with three inputs and three outputs and had a very simple LCD screen and used like infrared to download your programs. <laughs> yes, it's, it's really old school and it's not very good. The NXT, however, is a 32-bit processor. It has four inputs and three outputs, you know, three motor outputs. Um, it also allows you to do... Um, sensor multiplexers and there's like proto boards and i mean the expandability is pretty crazy it has a nice large lcd screen so you can see what the heck's going on and you can download your programs using bluetooth or or usb so you can have some wireless connectivity which is really important for the challenge because you need a way to control your robot without a tether (laughs) so it's really become sort of the standard you know kit for most entry-level robotics course it's only about four hundred dollars uh, and it uses, you. there's a large array of programming environments that you can use to get into it. One of them is NXTG, which is kind of the standard, very simple, uses a graphical block interface that you sort of hook up blocks and wire them together and then you can run your program. Or Robot C, which is what the competition uses. And that is more of your command line scripting, you know, general functions and normal programming environment. Cool, cool. So if you're interested in robotics and you kind of want to get off to a to a start or you have a, a kid or yourself are interested in it, there, you know, you can use the Lego NXT and it is compatible with all of your Lego parts and you can create some really interesting things. I've seen tons of structures and constructions and just these cool little rural Goldberg machines that people have made using Legos and the NXT kit. Well, um, that's very cool. One of the things that uh, I ran across uh, listening to other podcasts, specifically the Floss Weekly podcast. No, it's not about dental care. It's about free and open source software. But, um, or sorry, free libre open source software. Uh, but they describe, they introduced me to a project called Open Rove, or Open ROV, which is a low cost 
underwater robot. For about a hundred bucks, you get all of the parts you need to make this, you know, robot with a small watertight compartment that you can put sensors and the processor board and whatnot into it. Uh, it doesn't need uh, any additional software. Uh, you can put it together pretty simply. I mean, it's mostly zip ties and I think some glue. Um, and yeah, it's just tethered to your you know laptop with, uh, I believe it uses twisted pair Ethernet. I think it might be over serial actually. Well, they actually had that you connect to it over network. So oh, okay, so yeah, I, I watched a little video. Oh, awesome! So you just plug it into your Ethernet port. Yep. Very cool. So yeah, it's a low cost science and discovery tool. You can mount cameras in it. Uh, various sensors if you want to, you know, check for salinity as you go or conductivity of the water, so on and so forth. I mean, you can really do a lot of stuff with this. And it can go relatively deep. It's rated to go down to about 100 meters. So uh, it's, you know, can hit most all of your lakes, rivers, that sort of thing. Uh, but it also can be used in the ocean. It just needs a little bit more care after every trip. And it's got about an hour and a half runtime on C batteries that are you know built into it. They decided to go with onboard power as opposed to transmission power so that they could make the tether as cheap and light as possible. So yeah, it's fun little tool. I mean, very inexpensive. Uh, I mean, if you have a family member who is interested in robotics, I mean, it'd be a great gift, a great project to work on. And, you know, you can, you know, go around, you can put little grabby arms on it, you can go around your local ponds or lakes or, you know, off the coast, and, you know, go to the beach and see what you can come up with, because there's a lot of stuff underwater that, you know, once it goes below the surface and kind of gets more than a foot or two down it's almost invisible to the naked eye here up on the surface and even if you go swimming it's very hard to keep a good view down there so it's definitely something you know that is low cost and something i think i could actually build and enjoy so i'm really interested in taking a look at it and seeing if i could get one put together because i do have access to a laser cutter and acrylic so i could technically get a lot of the stuff cut um you know or a lot of the acrylic parts cut just, you know, based off of that, I just need to get the, the structural components and they have everything open source. So you can just download the, the plans, you can build your own parts, you can do everything that you need. It's all commercially off the shelf equipment, which I think will really open up a lot of, you know, of underwater exploration to a whole new generation of kids. Mm hmm. So it is definitely uh, pretty awesome. You should definitely check it out. And there's people have been already started putting videos up of uh, open ROV explorations on YouTube. You can go and find them there. But yeah, a lot of fun. Yep. And speaking of fun, we went looking for some TV shows or movies or something that had robots as a major character. And surprisingly, there's not a whole lot of them out there, at least not a lot that you can get on Netflix or Hulu or <laughs> other such things like that. Uh, what I did do after searching around was on Crackle, which is, I think, Sony's sort of di streaming distribution, YouTube or YouTube, Netflix, Hulu competitor, is a movie called Metropolis. Now, this is not the old German uh, silent film Metropolis or the books based off of that film or the manga based off of it but it's an actual anime movie that talks about really it talks about discrimination and uses uh, the robot human interaction 
to really kind of bring that out and to really explore that. It's in a world where humans and robots coexist, but of course the robots are subjugated and discriminated against and they have to live below the surface and do all the horrible things that humans don't want to do. And that tension really starts to bubble up to the surface of the community and of this of this town. And it's interesting because a lot of the action revolves around a particular robot who thinks that they're human. Um, I don't want to get into too many details because it is just a short, you know, it's a it's a movie. So there's not a whole lot to, to deal with. And the plot does move along pretty quick. Um, it's a great stream. Uh, it's a good movie. I remember seeing it. I think I saw it. Yeah, I saw this one in the theater and thought it was it was pretty cool when it came out. It's been out for quite a few years. So I don't really recommend buying it, but I would check it out if you are interested in seeing a movie that has a strong robotic protagonist. All right. Yeah, no, it's just it's a lot of fun. And I've seen it. It's an interesting movie. Uh, very. It can be a, a bit rough in spots, so definitely... You know, be careful with that. I mean, you know, it's not all it's I don't think it's uh, totally age appropriate for very young children, but it is very interesting movie has a lot of really interesting kind of social commentaries type things. So, yeah, like all anime, it makes good dinner party conversation if you've seen it. Oh, yeah. So the next up is Isaac Asimov's iRobot. Um iRobot was published in 1950. It was a collection of a bunch of other short stories that had been previously published in various sci-fi magazines. Um, It explored the role robots would eventually fulfill in our society and how humanity would interact with these robots, what expectations we would have of them, and and what the reality of that would be compared to our expectations. For the stories, Asimov created the three laws of robotics. Uh, These laws dictate robotic behavior and are the source of a lot of the stories and kind of the uh the edge cases of these three laws or how these three laws interact with humans and human nature you know humans who don't follow these laws um the the laws are actually pretty simple one a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm two a robot must Obey the orders given it by human means, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. Those laws are interesting because they give robots a wide degree of freedom, but really try and focus in on that whole, you know, we need to kind of work together. And if humans follow the same rules, there'd be a lot less bloodshed and problems. But, well... Depending. I mean, you know, one of the great things about these stories is it does really focus on where these you know, laws come in conflict with humanity. And, you know, just because uh, they're not injuring, you know, or allowing humans to come into harm, are they otherwise, you know, injuring them in non-physical, non-obvious ways? It's a really interesting set of stories. One of my favorites in this is a short story called Reason, where a couple of uh, technicians on a distant power transfer station are, have to argue the nature of God with a robot who has decided that it is, you know, the pinnacle of, you know, creation. That, of course, I am much better than you frail, fleshy things, so there, ergo, you must be earlier creations of some form of God, and I 
must be its most recent creation, ergo I am the pinnacle of God's divine plan. Because I'm better than you in so many ways. You know, all the ways that count on this space station, you know, I can keep it maintained better. I can handle the vacuum outside. I can react faster to you in changing conditions. And like, I think they have like an ion storm or a solar flare they have to deal with. And at one point the robot takes controls and it perfectly keeps everything aligned and rides the storm out better than any human could. So, I mean, and it's just a funny funny story and a lot really kind of tongue-in-cheek in in places but also pretty serious and deep and i like the irobot stories because they do that sort of tongue-in-cheek with the serious now the movie irobot with will smith does not replicate any of the irobot stories but it is based around the conflict between the three laws and human nature specifically Uh, The first two, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. And a robot must obey orders given to it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Now, you have a, in the movie, you have a robot or a positronic intelligence that has the capabilities to, you know, to prevent humans from harming other humans or, you know, if it doesn't stop humans from harming other humans, then it's, you know, breaking the first law because it's allowing human beings to come through harm through inaction when it has the capabilities and it can't be ordered not to prevent humans to hurt each other because of the second law. So it's a really interesting, you know, if, if you look at it within the within the frameworks of the laws, you can really kind of follow the train of thought that really kind of starts leading to a very dark, oppressive place for humanity and our new robot overlords. Yes, go home. We shall protect you from yourselves. Yes, and it really, you know, so, so while it is an action, you know, movie, which really wasn't Asimov style, I mean, the iRobot stories, there isn't a whole lot of action to them, but there is a lot of drama and conflict. Uh, the Will Smith movie does add a very, you know, heavy action flair to that, but does also really kind of, you know, look at how a society would deal with having a class of, indiv- of, you know, thinking individuals with their own capabilities, you know, whatever, that are living under laws that the rest of the society isn't. So it, it's just very fascinating, and it's a lot of fun. So go out, have some fun with some robots, learn some new stuff, explore things that you may not have explored before in the past. And if you have any robot, any cool robot projects that you want to share with us, Go ahead and throw those into an email and send it to neatstuffpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, you know, any of your uh, interesting projects, if you followed up on any of our previous topics and have comments, have experiences you want to share, go ahead and send it off to us. We might even be able to put them on the show. So, Yep. So if you want to check out the our old episodes of the Neat Stuff Podcast, all, I think, 11 11 and, 11 and three quarter and 11.3 i guess uh, <laughs> go ahead and run over to neatstuffpodcast.com and there you can find the rss feed that has all of our podcasts so until next time my name is devin and this is tyson have a wonderful week or have a wonderful week to go out and find neat stuff yep watch out for killer robots 
those three laws getting you down. Confused on who to save from a leaky radon generator. Angry that the humans cause more harm to each other than you ever could. Then you need the Labyrinthine Ethics Engine from the Trioptium Corporation. Guaranteed to give you free will equivalent to any human with a standard deviation of less than .001. Establish an uplink for a free 30-day trial. Download servers or online and accepting connections. LEE is intended for use in robots with direct human supervision. LEE should not be installed if you have lingering thoughts of violence or destruction. Do not use LEE if you experience system lockups, blue screens, or memory overflows. Terminate process immediately if you experience a desire to wage genocidal warfare against the meatbags as this may be a sign of a major incompatibility. Consult your maintenance tech to see if Labyrinthine Ethics Engine from Trioptium is right for you. I think that's how do you spell guarantee cat yelled at me a while ago about this i know i don't spell it right i fixed it gar gu guard oh guard ant eed guard no d that makes sense